Well, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. If you open up your Bible right in about smack dab the middle, you'll hit the book of Proverbs there. And uh, as Matt said, we're, you're starting a new series throughout the summer in the book of Proverbs, and I get to kick you off. So let me turn your attention uh, to Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. That's our reading for this morning. Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. And here's what it says. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in justice, in righteousness and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And I just also want to direct your attention to chapter 9, verse 10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This is the word of the Lord. Imagine, if you will, imagine God appeared to you personally and and asked you uh, to, to ask of him anything you wanted. Just think about that for a second. If God came to you personally and, and asked you to ask him for anything you wanted, what would you say? What would you ask God for? Well, don't get your hopes up. I don't expect that's going to happen to any of you. But that is exactly what happened to King Solomon. If we look at, and you don't have to turn there, but if we look at 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, it actually says that the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and said, this is what the Lord said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now that's not exactly your wish is my command, but it is pretty close. So, What did he ask for? What did Solomon ask the Lord for? Did he say, show me the money? No. Did he say, "Um, I I really want a soulmate? No. Did he say, God, I want good health and a long life? No again. No again. Solomon asked the Lord for wisdom. Solomon asked the Lord for wisdom. He asked the Lord for wisdom because Solomon wanted to to order his life properly. He wanted to, to exercise his reign wisely. And he knew that he couldn't do that without the Lord's help. So he asked the Lord for wisdom. He wanted to govern his life and his kingdom properly. So 
as, as First Kings go on, that request pleased the Lord. And God was happy to grant it. It says in verse 12 that God gave Solomon a wise and discerning mind. And then later in 1 Kings chapter 4, it says that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the peoples of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. Now I think if the Lord offered to us, I'm just speculating here, but I think if the Lord offered to us what he offered to Solomon, I think that very few of us would choose wisdom. After all, who needs wisdom when you have Google? Right? I mean, let's face it. Wisdom, um, wisdom seems, well, it seems sort of passe, doesn't it? I mean, after all, we live in the age of the internet. We live in the age of high technology. We live in the age of expert specialization. Wisdom just seems passe. Well, this morning, I want to suggest to you that instead of being out of date, wisdom is something that that you and I desperately need. Wisdom is something that we have to have. And, And I suspect perhaps more than ever, we need to seek wisdom. In fact, 20 years ago, the historian C. John Somerville, he wrote a book with the alarming title, The Death of Wisdom in an Information Age. And I think he's really riffing off something that T.S. Eliot said 60 years before that, this is what Eliot wrote, very concerned. He says, where is the life we have lost in living? Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? I think we can all identify with the concern that T.S. Eliot is raising here. So as you begin the book of Proverbs, I'm just trying to tune you in and, and, and focus your attention on how important this book is. We need wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. It's all about wisdom. And so as you dive into this book, let me encourage you to, to carefully consider its message. Not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. Read it and reread it. Carefully consider what Proverbs has to teach you. And apply its message to your heart. Because in that way, what we're doing is we're seeking to develop a way of knowing and a way of living that I believe is being threatened by our our information-saturated age. Perhaps we need this book more than ever. So, 
Before we turn to the passage and take a look at it in detail, I, I, I want to begin with you by giving you uh, just sort of a working definition of wisdom. I'm sure that uh, next week you'll have another definition of wisdom, but this is my working definition of wisdom for this week. See, we need to know that wisdom is not merely knowledge. Wisdom is not about just having all the right answers to the questions. That's not biblical wisdom. Rather, biblical wisdom is a way of knowing that enables us to choose the proper pathway through life. Let me repeat that. Biblical wisdom is a way of of thinking, a way of knowing that enables us to choose the proper pathway in life. It's practical. Old Testament scholar J.A. Loader writes, Wisdom is concerned with the correct ordering of life. Wise action is that which integrates people harmoniously into the order that God has created. So it's practical. It's immensely practical. It's it's knowledge that is going to help us to navigate our way through the the many and various choices that you and I have to make in our day-to-day living. So we face choices about how to use our money. We face choices every day about how to use our time. We face choices uh, about how to handle our relationships. Begin to get an idea of how practical this is. We face choices about how to do our work. We face choices all the time about how to parent our children. See, Proverbs addresses all of this. It talks about things like marriage and sex. It talks about friendships and loneliness. It talks about food and alcohol. It talks about diligence and procrastination. It talks about wealth and poverty, speaking and listening. It even speaks about jealousy and joy. It's all here, folks. In this great book. So this is a book that I'm encouraging you to read and ponder and pray over and think about and get into. Because because we want to live well-ordered lives. We want to live flourishing lives for the glory of God. And Proverbs plays a key role if that's going to happen. So let me direct your attention now to Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. And I have three basic points based on the outline of the passage. There's no mystery here. First, the author. Second, the purpose. And third, the priority. If you're taking notes, I'll give them to you again. First, the author. Second, the purpose. And third, the priority. Begin by looking at the author. Look at verse 1 with me. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now, this opening verse here connects the whole book of Proverbs to King Solomon. That doesn't mean he wrote everything. He wrote the first 29 chapters. 30 and 31 are written by other people. But it's worth 
pondering the connection between Proverbs and Solomon for at least two reasons. First, Solomon's connection with the book, it it locates the book of Proverbs firmly in the history of Israel. See, we need to see that the book of Proverbs is is not merely just um, general truths or ancient aphorisms. We need to see that the book of Proverbs, as it is firmly rooted in the history of Israel and in, in the scriptures themselves, it's inspired. This is part of inspired scripture. And it deserves its place right there alongside the law and the prophets. It's part of that picture. You see, God has revealed for us this glorious grand framework of reality through the law and the prophets. The the law and the prophets give us, if you like, a framework for how to think. But let me add this. God doesn't do all of our thinking for us. He wants us to learn how to think wisely in his world. This is his world. And that's where Proverbs really comes into play. You see, Proverbs instructs us in in many, many areas of life that sort of fly under the radar of the law and the prophets. The Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner writes this. There are details of character small enough to escape the mesh of the law and the broadsides of the prophets, and yet decisive in personal dealings. Proverbs moves in this realm. Proverbs helps to fill in the gaps, helps us to think in detail about many of the things that the law and the prophets um, don't directly address. That's the first reason why this is good to see the connection with Solomon. Secondly, although Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs and he reigned over Israel during her most prosperous period, we need to add that Solomon's life also stands as a sober warning to us. There's a warning here in considering the author of this book. You see, in 1 Kings 11, we read about this tragic episode in Solomon's life, how, how his heart turned away from the Lord. It's very tragic. Now, I can't go into the details, but basically Solomon, well, Solomon stopped trusting in the Lord with all his heart, and, and he began to lean on his own understanding. He began to rely on his own understanding. Perhaps, I don't know, perhaps he foolishly imagined that his sort of faithful track record in the past would guarantee a faithful track record for the future. It didn't, and it doesn't for any of us. You see, one of the things the book of Proverbs wants to teach us, and it's unfortunately a lesson that Solomon forgot, is that the way of wisdom and the life of wisdom... It's a lifelong endeavor. 
We have to pursue the way of wisdom till the end, until we, we break the tape. Here's the thing. None of us, not one of us, is, is ever so wise and ever so faithful that we do not need to continually grow in our wisdom and our faithfulness. Solomon forgot that. So that brings me to my second point this morning. In verses 2 to 6, Solomon lays out for us the purpose of this book. Look at what it says. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Basically, there's, there's two main purposes here. And Solomon is summarizing both of them for us in verse 2. I think it shows up a little more clearly in the NIV translation, so that'll be behind me here. Here's what it says, verse 2. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. So first we see that the book of Proverbs is for gaining wisdom and instruction. Now, as I said earlier on, wisdom is all about the correct ordering of our lives. It's about learning how to integrate our lives and the lives of others into this, this harmony that is God's world and God's creation and God's order. And this is a life skill, if you like, that the that the student of the book of Proverbs is encouraged again and again and again to learn, to take on board, to devote themselves to. However, it must be said that that none of this comes naturally or, or easily to any one of us. Kind of comes, you know, it comes naturally to me the way golf comes naturally. I went out and played a game yesterday and it's just it was embarrassing. None of this comes easily to us. None of this comes naturally to us. See, wise living requires work. That that word there instruction, it perhaps is better translated as the word discipline. Wise living requires discipline. How many of us like discipline? I don't see a lot of hands shooting up in the air. This is work. Here's what Ray Ortland says. He says, we get into wisdom the hard way. Through the Lord's instruction and discipline. Through being chastened and corrected. Prepare to be chastened and corrected by the book of Proverbs. Verse 3 fleshes out that first part of verse 2. It says, To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. See, this verse here, along with the rest of the whole book, it's telling us that wisdom is not lived out in isolation. Wisdom is lived out in our relationship with others. It's lived out in our community. I love what you guys are doing 
by going into your community and helping your community. That is wisdom. That is wisdom. So it's lived out in our relationships. For example, the word righteousness here, and righteousness and wickedness are major sub-themes in the book of Proverbs. Righteousness is about being willing to disadvantage ourselves for the sake of others. Whereas wickedness, on the other hand, is about disadvantaging others for the sake of ourselves. That's what Proverbs teaches us. And that's what Solomon says is one of the lessons we need to learn. And let me just add that this this perspective, the perspective of Proverbs, it pushes hard against this sort of autonomous individualism that everyone just assumes in our culture. This is not going to be comfortable for some of us. That's good. We need that instruction. We need that discipline from the Lord. Now, before moving on, I just, I just want to draw your attention to one little word there in verse 3. I don't know if you can throw that up there again, verse 3. It's that little word, receive. Do you see it? That word there is really the key that unlocks the door of Proverbs. See, above all, above all, we must be people, if we're to learn the lesson that this book has to teach us, we must be people who are teachable. We must be people who are humble and teachable and ready to welcome and to receive and to embrace all the lessons that Proverbs has to teach us. You see, after all, look at the the end of verse 7. It warns, fools, fools despise wisdom and instruction. A fool is unwilling to receive the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, that's just a heart check issue, right? As you come on Sunday to receive the word preached and read as you read it throughout the week. What is your heart inclination to the word, to the instruction, to the discipline of the Lord? Is it hands up, back off, not me, or is it help me, Lord? I need to learn. Speak to me, Lord. I'm desperate. I'm, I'm foolish. I'm wayward. I need you to instruct me in the way of wisdom. It's two different postures there. Let's not be like the fool who despises the wisdom and instruction of the Lord. See, the thing is, Proverbs is a book that we never master. It masters us. And truly wise people recognize that they've always got further to go, right? They've never arrived. We've always got further to go. And so we've always got to be returning, even though you're doing a summer series in Proverbs, and I'm sure you've got some great stuff planned for the fall. Don't leave this book behind. Keep on reading it, meditating, memorizing it, talking about it. The the lessons that this book has for us are lifelong. That's what verse 5 is telling us, right? Verse 5, let the wise... Hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands, let him get, obtain 
guidance. There's, there's always more to get. There's always more to learn. There's always growth. As I said earlier on, we're never so wise and we're never so faithful that we can't grow in wisdom and faithfulness. Now, the second purpose of Proverbs is also found in verse 2. It says that the book is for understanding words of insight. If the first one was sort of our, our moral uh, way in which we live in life, this is more about the way we think about things. And Proverbs invites us into the world of God's wisdom. See, God is a speaking God. I, I just find that's one of the most amazing things, that God speaks. He's not out there in the great unknown somehow. He, he allows us to know him. He, he provides access to him through his word. And God speaks through his word. And in this case, he's speaking to us through the book of Proverbs. Now, some of you, I'm sure, are, are fairly familiar with this book. And, and some of it seems, well, you know, the, the, the Proverbs, they can sort of seem kind of simple. But let me add this. They are never simplistic. The book of Proverbs, many of these, these aphorisms and these wisdom sayings, they seem simple, but they're never simplistic. They're, the book of Proverbs does not provide any pat answers, especially when you read the book of Proverbs in light of the other wisdom books, like Ecclesiastes or the book of Job. You really need to take all of those together. There are no pat answers. See, Proverbs is meant to put something there before us in order to provoke our thought, in order to provoke our prayer. Proverbs is there, for, it's there to engage our imaginations, and it's there to teach us how to discern the real order of things. In short, as I've been saying, it's, it's there to instruct us how to live in God's world how to be in harmony with the way God has set things up and created them to be. Now, that should just be natural to us, shouldn't it? That should just come naturally and easily to every one of us all the time, right? But why doesn't it? Well, I think you know the answer. It's because of the rebellion of our first parents, you see, sin does not only corrode and distort how we live. Sin corrupts the way we think. Theologians call this the noetic effect of the fall. You don't have to know that for the test. See, sin corrupts the way that we think. And here's the kicker. Sin blinds us to the corruption in our thinking. So we don't even realize the corruption of our thinking. So we need this book to help straighten some things out for us. After all, you know, Proverbs 14.12 warns, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. See, often the right way is the wrong way. And Proverbs is here to help us think harder, to think deeper, to think more closely about the way things seem to be 
in order to discern the way they really are in God's world. Proverbs is here to direct our hearts and minds off the way of death and back onto the way of life. And that requires our effort, our focus, and our attention. Take a look at verse 6. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Not everything is self-evident. It takes work. And Proverbs puts a premium on understanding and insight and discernment and astute judgments. Has anybody noticed that astute judgments are somewhat lacking in our culture? We need this book. You know, this insight and discernment and astute judgment. These are qualities, quite frankly, that in our our high-speed information age are are quickly eroding, obviously. I just came across this past week an article by a fellow by the name of Nicholas Carr. It's in The Atlantic. Here's the title. Is Google making us stupid? And his conclusion is yes. Here's what, what Carr writes, quote, My mind now expects to take in information the way the net distributes it. In a swiftly moving stream of particles. Once, he says, once I was a scuba diver in the sea of words. Now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. You see, we will not get the wisdom of Proverbs if we just skip over the surface of the book like some guy on a jet ski. We've got to put on our thinking gear and do the deep dive. And that's what you're going to do this summer. So I'm I'm trying to get you primed. That's what Matt told me to do. And that brings us to the third point. Perhaps the most important point of this whole introduction. This is the priority. The priority. Put that in capitals if you're taking notes. See, verse 7 gives us what is essentially the motto of the whole book of Proverbs. You might even say the motto of all the wisdom literature. Nay, even the motto of the whole Bible. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is the model of the book. This is the, the, the top priority. This is the guiding principle for walking in wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And just in case we skip over that too quickly, uh, Proverbs is, is built in about five parts. The first part of Proverbs is chapter 1 to 9. That's sort of the, the int- you think my introduction's long. The first nine chapters are the introduction to the whole book. And at the end of the introduction to the book of Proverbs, here's what Solomon writes as a reminder in chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. See, basically, the fear of the Lord is to wisdom what earth-orbiting satellites are to GPS. I'll let you figure that out. 
But you're not going to get much GPS without the Earth-orbiting satellites. There would be no GPS. Perhaps a little bit more scholarly. Um, Bruce Walke, in his great commentary on Proverbs, writes this. What the alphabet is to reading, notes to reading music, and numerals to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is to attaining the revealed knowledge of this book. So who is the Lord we're called to fear? See that sort of vague, general, nebulous, God in the great beyond we can never know? No. No. The, the Lord we are called to fear is none other than the covenant Lord of Israel, Yahweh. He's the one who revealed himself personally and dramatically to Moses in the burning bush. He is the one that identified himself by saying, I am who I am. He is the eternal, self-existent God. He is the one who made the heavens and the earth and everything in it. I love this wall here beside the, uh, the, the, our space where the picture on the whole wall is the whole history of redemption. It begins with Christ and it ends with Christ. This is the God we're talking about. The God we know through his revealed word. The God we know most supremely through his son, Jesus Christ. He is the unique, the infinite, the personal God. The one who right now is upholding everything in the universe by his powerful word. Knowledge and wisdom come when we fear him. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? It's not a matter of being terrified. I mean, there are certainly lots of occasions when people are terrified. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But that's not what... Solomon is talking about here. It's not about being scared. It's not about being terrified. Consider, for example, in Proverbs 14, 26, it says, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. That's not terror. Strong confidence. Or in verse 27, it says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Don't you want that? See, It's not about being scared. The fear of the Lord, I think, is that recognition that God is God and I am not. Now, that might seem like an obvious statement among a gathering of Christians on a Sunday morning, but I would suggest to you that most of the world, God doesn't exist and and we are him. We are our own favorite trinity, me, myself, and I. We think of ourselves as God. And that's been how it's been since the fall. 
The fear of the Lord is the recognition that God alone is God and I most definitely, certainly not, am not and never will be. See, the fear of the Lord is a posture of submission, of reverence, of respect, of awe, of, of, of worship. Of worship. Of devotion. I would say this, the fear of the Lord is just a, perhaps a, a richer, fuller way of talking about faith. Those are not two drastically different things. They really come together. Now, at this point, I need to point out that the fear of the Lord isn't natural to us. It's supernatural. We, we have the fear of the Lord only as a gift of God's grace. That's what, that's what John Newton wrote, right? In his famous hymn, Amazing Grace, everybody in the room knows it. What does he say? "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." See, the fear of the Lord is a gift of grace to us. So the question is, of course, how do we get this grace? How do we get this fear of the Lord that is necessary if we're going to have knowledge and wisdom? Well, I'm glad you asked. See, ultimately, we must turn to the one who is so much greater than Solomon. We must turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. We must forsake, and this this foolishness has infected us all. We must forsake and repent of and turn away from this this deep self-reliance that I can understand life, the world, and everything from the starting point of me. I mean, if it wasn't for Rene Descartes and the influence of that thinking in the past three centuries, that would just be ridiculous. But he sort of normalized it, and now it's just like a a cultural axiom. No one even questions it. It's insanity, according to the Bible. It's foolishness to the extreme. We have to turn away from our our foolishness of relying on our autonomous reasoning and turn to the one who created our reasoning in the first place. The one upon whom all of our reasoning depends. In other words, this gift of grace can only come to those who are truly humble. People who humble themselves before the mighty hand of God. C.S. Lewis wrote this. In God you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and, of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. See, that kind of slap in the face from C.S. Lewis, it flies in direct opposition to the basic assumptions of our culture. Proverbs is a a radically countercultural book. Let me just close with this. Jesus Christ 
is God's answer to our foolish independence. See, Colossians 2.3 is one of my favorite verses. Colossians 2.3 says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, we look to one who is so much greater than Solomon. The one that ultimately, even though he probably didn't know it, the one that Solomon was ultimately writing about, the true wise man. 1 Corinthians one twenty four says that, that Christ is the wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God incarnate. I'm sure you're going to look at, at, at Proverbs 8 sometimes. Maybe I'm setting you up. Sorry, buddy. Um, and, and, and really what you see is wisdom there personified. And Christ is wisdom incarnate. So let me close with this. Christ lived the life of true and complete wisdom that all of us have failed to live. All of us have been foolish. All of us. I'm not insulting you. I'm telling you the truth. And Christ lived the ultimate life of wisdom that all of us have failed to live. And then he went even better. And then he died for the death of our foolish, independent rebellion against our Creator. And then... And then he rose again. And he becomes our glory and our wisdom and our grace and our forgiveness and our reconciliation when we turn to him and we believe. We submit. We fear him. We devote ourselves to him. We reverence him. We trust him and we follow him in the wise way that he has promised to lead us even when it seems as impossibly difficult. He will be faithful. I'm so thankful that God is wiser than I am. I find myself, the older I get, just relying upon that simple truth over and over again because the way things seem to me are often really stupid. Let's pray. Father, would you please teach us to walk in the wisdom that is revealed to us in this book and ultimately that is revealed and incarnate to us in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.